0: Volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now... Please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders.
1: Hello, and welcome to season five of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado. Our mission. Simple to help organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. And as you may know, if you've been listening in, tuning in to season five, this season is all about creating a more deeply human workplace. Our greatest gift as human beings is our ability to adapt. And I believe that the more we can tap into our humanity, the more we can be successful in business and beyond. So today, we'll be talking with Beverly Wright about leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but ultimately, really, this is just about humanity at work. Beverly Wright, she had a very successful 30 plus year career working in leadership roles in multiple areas of a Fortune 50 technology and software company. Beverly is the founder and CEO of Wright Choice Group, where she offers executive leadership coaching and consulting, and diversity, equity, and inclusion services in diverse clients across multiple industries. But here's the kicker. In 2021, Beverly was selected to the Thinkers 50 list. The Financial Times described the Thinkers 50 as the Oscars of Management Thinking. So basically, this is an organization that introduces emerging thinkers who have the potential to make lasting contributions to management theory and practice. So Beverly is an incredibly accomplished woman and human being, just a lovely person to connect with. Let's go to the interview with Beverly now. Beverly, it is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: I'm excited about it. So you've had a
1: long and successful corporate career, and you've shifted to leadership or a focus on leadership. And I'd love to just start the conversation by asking why. Why do you focus on leadership in your coaching business?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked me that question, because when I joined the company where I worked for many, many, many years, the thing I always tell them about leadership that formed my opinions is first, I was a follower, right? I was a direct report. And I started really paying attention to the things that I cared about in my leadership. And fortunately, I had great leaders that really mentored me. The reason I even went into leadership positions in my corporate life is because of a manager I had early in my career that convinced me that that's what I needed to do. And Mm. I was resistant to the idea. It didn't look like fun to me initially. I was like, why would (laughs) anybody want to do that? You're kind of caught between the middle of people that... You know, report to you don't think you're doing enough for them, and the people that you report to don't think you're getting enough out of the people that report to you, and you're in the middle, so that doesn't look like fun. But she said something to me that I think is one of the most gracious gifts. She said, I have been a leader. I made every mistake you could make. I can teach you all the things not to do so that you will be successful. And she spent a year of her time meeting with me one-on-one on a regular basis, And letting me learn from her evolution as a leader, where we would go through the things that were on her desk. And she initially would tell me what she would do with that, how she would approach that situation. And over time, as I became more experienced, she'd say, okay, what would you do when this hit your desk? And I'm still in touch with her. I'd been gone almost 11 years, and she left well before I did. But at my retirement, I invited her back because she changed my whole life, my Mm -hmm. whole corporate life, because of her convincing me that I could do it my way. Because I kept saying to her, I'm not sure that they really want me to be a leader because I don't do corporate speak. I can't say things if I don't believe them. And she gave me two pieces of advice that I still use. She said, you know, you have such a strong sense of right and wrong." That you need to learn to pick your battles or you're going to wear yourself out from the inside. (laughs) That is so true. And I still have to work on that today. But it is something I've learned to do much more effectively. The other piece of advice she gave me that I still use is you can learn from every single person you meet. You either learn what to do or what not to do. Look for the lesson. Mm -hmm. And I do that to this day. And it has been very helpful to me. And so that's the reason that I ended up not only going into leadership and then finding that I loved it. I thought it was a wonderful way to make a contribution and that leadership has one of the best opportunities to make the world a better place. Good leaders. I love that. Yeah, it really does speak
1: to the impact that one person can have Absolutely, and like this is the multiplier effect, Beverly. Like this is one person yes. who dramatically impacted your life, mm-hmm. and I think about all of the hundreds, thousands of people with whom you've impacted through your coaching and training, and and leadership. Profit and nonprofit is just incredible. That trajectory, change in trajectory, is super powerful. Yep,
0: but that's why I yeah. focus on leadership, and mm-hmm. I had. Fortunately, I had the opportunity to work for a lot of leaders in 38 years. That's how long I worked at one company. And it didn't feel like it was stagnant ever because I had opportunities to change into different parts of the company all the time Mm -hmm. and to work for a lot of different leaders. And the majority of them, the vast majority, in fact, in all of those years, I may have had two that I probably wouldn't have chosen, right? Right. But the others, I really did learn something from them. And it was just like she said, sometimes I learned things that I thought, boy, I really want to make that a part of my leadership journey. Or maybe I tweak this a little bit and not do it exactly the way that they did it. But I am the person that sits in front of you today is a sum total of all of those experiences I had with all those different leaders and what I learned from them.
1: You talk about, a return on people as a concept. I saw that on your LinkedIn bio. Say more about that. I'm wondering if it's connected here to that.
0: Absolutely. I'm hearing something emerge now where they talk about we need to have more humanity in companies. And I've always known that the secret sauce for any company is the people. Now, The challenge becomes is that they say that all the time. They put it in their mission statement. They have it on slogans and walls, but they don't operationalize it. Sometimes I think some of them don't know how to do that because really the return on people always increases your return on investment. But many leaders don't recognize that it's really not about them. One of my friends gave me this idea, and I like the way he said it he told me he had been the uh, chief human resource officer for a couple of big companies. And he said, you know, Bev, a few years ago, he told me, he said, I don't want to be the, the show anymore. I want to be the platform. Mm-hmm. So now he wants to continue to grow other leaders yes. and for him to be the platform that presents them and grows them. And I loved that concept. And so that's what I mean when I say return on people as a leader, your job is to create more leaders, And if you do that, the company will be successful. The people will be, you know, you're talking about quiet quitting and all of those kinds of things. People aren't really quiet. It's just that leaders aren't paying attention.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. This quiet quitting concept is like in every article that you read today. But yeah, are leaders listening? I'm not sure there's anything new in this concept of quiet quitting. We
0: just gave it a new word, a new phrase. But I remember once... When I was in corporate, I was talking to one of the managers and he was telling an experience he had where he saw one of his direct reports standing at the elevator that morning and he said, How are you doing? He said, Oh, I'm doing great. And the guy quit that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And so he said, He said, You know, I saw him that morning and he said everything was great. And I said, Well, yes, because he had made a decision already to leave. Exactly. <laughs> well,
1: of course. That was the
0: great. wrong you didn't ask him the right question, right? To elicit the right, right response. He had mm-hmm. already made the decision. And so What I would say to leaders that they can do to to retain their current talent is to have those conversations on a regular basis. I wasn't afraid to ask, you know, what do you like about your job? What would you change if you could? I'd even ask sometimes, you know, is there anything that would make you want to leave and go somewhere? What would attract you? But having those ongoing conversations where number one, they know you are interested in their opinion about their workplace saying things like, and this was something I learned to say after one of my managers said it to me. And I was surprised by it. He said, how do you like to be managed? And I was stuck for an answer because I didn't expect anybody to ever ask me that. Yeah. And he could see, and he said, this was early in my career. And he said, well, give it some thought. I'd really like to hear what you're thinking. And I added that to my leadership style. Yeah. And I'm telling you, uh, I coached a couple of military leaders several years ago for two years, and they dropped bombs for a living. That was so they had serious business. They had to be exact in everything they did. And I said to one of them one day that he should use that question. You know, how do you like to be managed? And after he used it with one of his right hand people, he came back. He's like, "Babe, that is the best question in the world. He said, I have worked with this guy for the longest time. And he said, when I asked him that question, he gave me information that I don't think he ever would have said to me had I not asked him that. And in fact, the example he used was that he had two meetings that were occurring at the same time. And he said to his employee, you know, I think I'm going to go to meeting A and you can go to meeting B. And his employee said, well, you know, I actually think we should do it the opposite and here's why. He said, now, Bev, I don't think he ever would have even given me his opinion if I had not started opening up to him and yes. asking him, how did he like to be managed? You know, how can we get a, have a better working relationship? Mm-hmm. He even said to me one day, he said, you know, I get up to go to the men's room and I get stopped every few feet with somebody asking me for my approval or opinion. And I said to him, what do you think you're doing that makes them think that you want them doing that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're doing it because somewhere you've given them the idea that they need your approval. Yeah. So you need to figure that out as a leader. What's the signal
1: that
0: mm-hmm. you need to change? And he worked on those kinds of things. So I'm fascinated by, you know, leadership and love coaching them. And I love still growing as a leader myself. Even now that I'm an entrepreneur, I certainly need to be much more in tune with how I'm affecting the people that I work with, because I, we don't have a formal You know, relationship like you would in a company where you all work for the same company. Right. Well, those are the questions
1: really that often get missed, right? We get to the project management or the task aspect of our role, but we miss those questions. How do you like to be managed? What motivates you? What frustrates you? How can we adapt to each other? How how do you like to be recognized? These questions go so much deeper for people and can create an environment where the quiet quitting doesn't happen, or at least you have a better sense of what's
0: happening with people. Yeah. The other thing that I found is that when you show up human as a leader, it extends the invitation to them to do the same thing. Mm, yeah. Many times the team I had the last 12 years, we had worked together. Most of them were, we were together for 12 years and they would literally say to me, Bev, take, I want you to take off your manager hat and put your coach hat on because they wanted to have a different conversation and they knew they could. And that I wouldn't hold anything against them. I wouldn't, they wouldn't show up in their appraisal, right? Right. (laughs) I was wearing a different hat because I was interested in them as a human. I had someone once that had worked with me for a while and I just knew something was off, but I couldn't figure out what it was because it was just me walking around and just seeing how they interacted that was different. And I finally said to them one day at the, I said, why don't you stop by the office on the way before you go home? And they did. And we were there for three hours and it didn't have anything at all to do with work. Nothing. Mm, mm, I asked mm. what was going on. And it was something in his personal life with his his wife. And he's like, oh, I haven't been able to talk to anybody about this. And so we got through it. There were, but three hours, my husband was calling and saying, are you coming home tonight? <laughs> that <kind of> thing. <laughs> right. And he knew my family. And so he knew that that was probably my husband calling. And he said, when I hung up, he said, you know, Bev, normally when Nathan called, I would have excused myself and let you go home. He said, but you see, I'm still sitting here. Because he mm-hmm. was full. Yeah. He needed somewhere, some safe place to talk. And he felt that me as his manager was a safe place. And that meant a lot to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sense of connection, belonging, meaningful relationship with the manager. And then the safety that, the psychological safety that leaders create or can create is just so critical to open up those
0: conversations. Absolutely. And they can help you too when you talk about the return on people. It's the emperor's not wearing any clothes, right? You want people... That will tell you as a leader when something is not the way it should be or what, how we would improve our work culture, yes. our teamwork, our collaboration. You want them. I used to say to my team, you all need to learn to manage me better. Mm, right?" Okay. <laughs> because I wanted them to tell me things because I am a visionary and I have lots and lots of ideas and I took an assessment once. it showed up. And she said to me when she was giving me feedback, she said, you have a lot of ideas. She said, now it doesn't say anything about the quality of your ideas, but you have a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) And so my, I would say to my team, if I'm giving you more than you can tell me, because it's not intentional. And so they felt comfortable saying, okay, mm-hmm. babe, you came back from vacation with a lot of new stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And we're still mm-hmm. working on the old stuff. So let a, can we let you know when we think we're ready for the next batch, right? Yeah. And we'd have those real conversations that I appreciated because I wanted them to know that just because my title was manager, didn't mean that I was the smartest person in the room. I still had things I needed to work on. And I would tell them some of the things that I knew I probably needed to do better so they could help me figure out when I was still doing it and be kind of my partner in helping me change that behavior. Yeah, excellent.
1: Beverly, you've done a lot of work in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, both with your coaching as well as in nonprofit. Can you talk a little bit about the role of diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace today?
0: I think the need has always been there, but I think we're now in a place where, one, with the younger generation, I think they're pushing us. They're, it's not like it's optional for them, right? Yes. And so, in maybe in the past years, that in the workplace, the bosses had the power, right? and they may have been very similar in the way that they approached hiring and those kinds of things. But what I see with the younger generation, i work with a lot of young leaders as well, is that they want to feel like they could use this term, which was new to me when I first heard it, intersectionality. Mm. And several years ago when I heard it, I was like, boy, I don't know what that really means. And we, in our nonprofit, Dallas Dinner Table, we happened to have a young person. And she said, well, basically her generation wanted all facets of their life to kind of come together in one place. And usually they spend most of their time at work. So they wanted Mm. the social aspect. They wanted the career aspect. They want the community service aspect, all of those places dating, you know, they can meet people that, you know, that in their workplace. So they wanted all of those things to intersect in the workplace. And so I am now doing, this be my third panel that I'm doing in November on intersectionality Mm. at a conference that I go to every year for women. And it has been a really popular one, panel that I moderate. And we talk about the diversity of belonging, making sure that everybody knows where their piece fits or that their piece fits wherever they want it to fit. I remember when I had a young person that had joined our company And I used to talk to the new hires. That was my area of of responsibility was talent management and development. She had a disability, a physical disability. And as I was talking to her about her experience of onboarding and what she thought about the company, she said, I went home and I told my parents, I think I can be successful there because I see people just like me that have been Mm. successful there. Mm. And so that representation matters just being able to see someone that's already been successful that has similar attributes whatever that is right. whether it be as you gives you the idea that you can be successful too yeah. so we have to have you know that whole thing about diversity equity and inclusion and i think the term has been kind of overused a lot for some people because they think it's just a slogan but it's up to leadership to make sure it's not that
1: yeah for sure. Can you talk a bit about, because I think you're right, like DEI or variations of that diversity, sure. equity, inclusion, belonging, like they are maybe the the buzzword. And it seems like it's at least on paper a priority for many organizational boards right now. Maybe make the distinction between what those words mean. What's the difference? It's not enough to just have diversity.
0: No, in no. our
1: workforce, we also have to have equitable situations. Maybe you can talk about with the meaning, if you will, of those sure. different words. Well, you
0: know, diversity really is, you can have diversity without having equity or inclusion. Right, right. And so that is something that is fairly easy to achieve. You just have people that represent different groups in the mix, so to speak but that doesn't mean that they have equities. As an example, you've probably seen the picture that they created and it's been a long time ago where you have the person trying to look over the fence Mm -hmm. and you have somebody that is taller, so they don't need any assists to be able to see over the fence. And the image is where they're looking at a baseball game, say. But the taller person has the advantage because they can stand flat-footed and look over the fence and watch the game. Next to them is a younger person that's shorter and they need an assist they need to be standing on a step or something that helps them see over the fence and they can't do it without assistance it's not their fault that they're younger and shorter and they might even not be younger they're just a shorter in stature and so it really talks about trying to level that playing field and you see it a lot in workplaces where like where I hear it spoken about a lot is where maybe you're a first generation college graduate. And so you come to the workplace and you've not been exposed to any of the things that others that have had that in their family for a long time. Uh, you also see it in the way we acquire wealth, the way families acquire wealth or build wealth so that they have it to pass on. Well, if you've never had anyone in your family that had any kind of training about how to do that, chances are you won't know how to do it either unless Mm -hmm. someone teaches you. Mm -hmm. But where do you go to get started? And I can even tell you that when I went into corporate America, I didn't have, I was like a blank slate from understanding what corporate did or was, what that culture was. I didn't have it in my family. My parents were entrepreneurs, but they owned a barber and beauty shop. So we didn't start from money. But what I had was a company that invested in me and they didn't judge me because I didn't come already rolled with all this information. They developed me. They invested in me. And that's what made the difference. And unfortunately, a lot of companies have lost that. They want people that are already trained. And if you're not trained, they're not willing to invest the dollars in it. Look at what is ha- I can tell you what has happened that I've observed in many corporate settings. When I joined the company that I worked for, they did not let you even talk to a customer until you had been trained for a year. Mm-hmm. By the time I left, we were fighting to be able to put people in training for six weeks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you look around everywhere you go. You're seeing the outcome of those changes and approaches when you go for service somewhere or anything you do. So many times the people that are there as employees they don't know how to help you because they haven't been thoroughly trained. They learn on the job basically on you as the customer, right? right. They, and, and it's in industry, it's not just fast food, it is very, you know, it's in healthcare. It's everywhere that you see that service has degraded in a lot of places they're short staffed. And the people that they do have haven't been thoroughly trained. I hear it all the time. I wonder sometimes if I don't have a face that says, you can talk to me, to complete strangers, because I can't tell you how many times I've gone to do something, run an errand or whatever, and people will strike up a conversation and they'll tell me the most personal things about how they hate their job, how they wish they could get out of there. (laughs) It's happened in so many places that I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible, that these people feel trapped. It happened with a woman that was a security guard. And I went to get a government badge for this project I was doing. And so I had to stop at security until they came and picked me up. And so she asked me what I was there for. And I told her that I was a coach. And when I kind of explained to her what that was, and she said, boy, I wish I could get this gun off my hip. I hate it. And I said, really? And so she said, but I've been in security my whole life and I just can't seem to figure out what else I can do that would get this gun away from me. And so I on the spot just started saying, here's some things you might try. You know, (laughs) you might go here and here's some resources for you. And I said, and you might be able to leverage your security background in a job as a consultant, but you wouldn't have to carry a gun. Right. Because that was really her only thing that she wanted. I went to pick up a charger that my sister had left at a place where she had worked on a project and I walked in. She told me the name of the lady to ask for. I go in and introduce myself. And the lady said, she said, oh, are you on your way to work? And I said, no, I have my own company. I said, I I actually am just running an errand and I was closer to it than my sister. So I told her I'd run by and pick it up. And when I told her I was a coach, she said, I need to talk to you. I hate this place. I mean, I'm seeing that so many places I'm thinking what is going on around leadership and workplace culture that I'm running into these complete strangers that are telling me such personal information?
1: yeah,
0: probably because they think they know they'll never see me again, right that that's probably it because I'm literally just close. safety <laughs> right? yep. but who are they not talking to when my husband was in the hospital? I noticed that he was, I won't even say where he was, but we were at a health place and he was having a procedure several years ago and I was the last person left in the waiting room waiting for his procedure to be over. And I had noticed several times when we had been in this man's presence that he was so caring to all of the people that were there. He spoke softly to them. Most of them were older and he was just so caring. And so I was the last one and he came over and he said, what is the name of the loved one that you're waiting on? And I told him, he said, let me check and see where they are on the procedure. And I'll let you know. He came back. He said he should be through very soon and everything is going fine. And I said to him, I said, thank you so much. I said, you know, I've had an opportunity to observe you several times. And I'm so impressed with how caring you are to all of the people that you support. And I said, I want you to know that I really appreciate and I'm sure the others do too. You know what his response was? He said, I wish my manager would tell me that. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, so, you know, you see the theme that I've run into just randomly where I'm not even expecting those kinds of things. And so yeah. when we talk about return on people, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, all of those have the same thread through them. We've got to have m- more humanity as leaders, Because people are yearning. Someone used that word with me when they were telling me about a conversation that I made a talk at one of the universities several years ago. And I saw her at one of our local coach federation meetings, our ICF meetings. And she said, Bev, they really enjoyed your talk. And she said, so many people know you. She said, and they are yearning for what you offer. And the word yearning just struck me so differently. Not they want it, they enjoy it yearning that's a whole different emotion Mm. yeah
1: it's so interesting i just wrote a book that came out back in february called the deeply human workplace and we've touched on so many Mm. things that are in that book but what i'm hearing from you is the thread in all of these themes from today is really about humanity whether it's diversity equity inclusion whether it's people feeling like they matter whether it's creating a safe environment whether it's return on people what The theme here is the threat of people, of humanity at
0: work, ultimately. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will tell you the reason that I got into coaching in the first place is I went to a conference in, I think, Toronto early on when I was still learning how to spell coach. I went (laughs) to this conference, and I mean that really, right? And so we were there. The conference was great. We had a lot of great sessions, and we had service people in the food hall every day and that took good care of us and so forth. So I really enjoyed the whole conference but the thing that got me and saying okay this is my tribe is that the very last thing we had this banquet and we went this huge banquet room in this hotel and they were doing awards and stuff on the last day and the last thing they did is acknowledge the kitchen staff and so the person from the stage said We'd like, we've had such wonderful service the whole time we've been here. We'd like to thank our servers and the people that have made our stay so pleasant. Mm. And they had all the people come out of the kitchen and ring around the ballroom. And it was a big ballroom and it was a big staff of people that had been taking care of this huge group of people. And when I tell you that those people walked out of that kitchen in their uniforms and stood around the wall in that banquet place... And their faces were gleaming as we gave them a standing ovation. I have to this day never had the chills like that because Mm -hmm. they had never been acknowledged that way before. And you could tell it, Mm -hmm. they were literally shining, just have have been bought out of the kitchen and have the people they had waited on so patiently and so well acknowledge their contribution. And I thought, this is my tribe. These are the people I wanna hang out with.
1: And Bev, how much did that cost to acknowledge those people? Right, exactly. Nothing. Let me see if I can capture some of the key summary points from this conversation. Thank you so much. Number one, we can learn from anyone, whether it's what to do or what not to do. With every interaction with people, we there's something to learn. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. All right. This number two, the secret sauce is the people but we have to figure out how to operationalize it and if we can the return on people there's a direct link to return on investment and we can do that by asking better questions that aren't just task related questions like how do you like to be managed and do that on an ongoing basis and then the quiet quitting will go away because it won't be quiet we'll actually be listening to what's happening exactly number three when you show up as a leader, it extends the same opportunities for others to do the same. Mm-hmm. Number four, you mentioned intersectionality, especially the younger generation. They want to see a connection sort of in one central place in our lives. And we probably spend the most time in our lives at work. The intersectionality of social, of career, of personal this is an important trend that's happening in our workplace today, and a
0: purpose. Purpose. They are. Oh yes, yeah. they are very purpose-driven, and so that's where the community service piece comes in. They want to feel like the work they do makes a difference to the world. Yes.
1: Number five: diversity without equity is not enough, yeah. and we have to invest in our people to create that level playing field, so that people can see. Others who have similar characteristics and trait as them in the workplace, it ultimately leads to more success. And finally, the thread through all of which we've talked about today, whether it's people's feeling like they matter, whether it's diversity, equity, inclusion, is the threat is humanity and treating people like humans and creating that more deeply human workplace.
0: Yeah, you get an A.
1: I get an A. I checked all the
0: boxes. <laughs> you get an A. <laughs> Well,
1: you get an A, Beverly, and I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Well, Thank you. I loved it.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.